When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you season two of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. We've got our take cannons loaded and ready. ready. Absolutely dominant on deep routes. Absolutely dominant on short the routes. boys are back, baby. Excellent separation against man coverage. This is Reception, Reception, the show. Yo, what's cracking, everybody? James Coe, Matt Harmon here with you. You're listening to Reception Perception, the show. All right, Matt, uh, we got a busy day in front of us here today. Week three is now in the books, baby. Uh, we had some historic performances, certainly on the ground. I mean, these running back tandem, I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't looked into it at all, Matt, but there is no way. There's just no way another running back tandem has ever given us a 50-point game and a 45-point game. There's just no way that's ever happened in fantasy football in history. There's just no way. No, yeah, no, it it literally has not happened before. Um, I actually saw a tweet from the uh, NFL's official fantasy account, you know, our old stomping grounds. Uh, Their their scoring format is full-point PPR, I believe, but uh, regardless, Mm -hmm. the the tweet was Devon... uh, a-chan he's not a chain he's a chan that was clarified today yes when you when you go when you have like a i'm a player from georgia playing against you know northwest southern arkansas (laughs) you know missouri whatever the christian school uh you know you get to you get to let everybody know how you pronounce your name so um devon a chan uh, 51.3 points and Raheem Mostert 42.5 points or excuse me 45.2 points are the first running back teammates to each score 45 fantasy points in the same game ever again that's from oh, the NFL's go. official fantasy account so yes this is uh, that was historic level stuff crazy, <laughs> I mean crazy dude it, my podcast producer over, over at Yahoo like you know I compared it to a a college like week one college football beat down like that yeah uh, I he compared it to like when you're playing against your little brother in Madden and you're just yep you know you're just want to make him feel bad you want to make him cry <laughs> uh, it's like I know I used to like totally. the final two games of the regular season totally. when I would do like franchise mode in Madden I would just you know put up 70 burgers just because well i got to get all my guys their stats right like how we wish teams actually operated in the nfl like that i still i've been looking at that box score the miami dolphins like offensive box score the running backs and then what the running backs did as pass catchers i still can't make any damn sense of it bro i mean it's just like stuff you've never seen before it's crazy um it's crazy crazy stuff and and you know i would say for the second consecutive week Raheem Mostert was on a lot of people's benches last week, right? So mm-hmm. everyone corrects course. They throw Raheem Mostert uh, into their lineups this week, and they're they're rewarded by that, right? But, man, there ain't no way, unless you are in a deep-ass league and or your entire running back core is just so battered, there ain't no way in most people's leagues they're playing Devin Achan. There's just no way. You know, I, look, you, you see Raheem Mostert's going to be active. He's good to go. He's ready to rock. You're really going to throw in a backup running back? As a starter in your league, man, there's just, I don't know what percentage he was started, bro, but it's got to be awfully low. And I just think about how few people have captured all of these Miami running back points. 
you know, over the last two weeks. Again, Mostert last week and Achan this week, man. Like, it's crazy how many points have been left on the bench because both of those guys have just absolutely exploded. Um, and, and, and despite what we now have come to... I guess almost expect now three weeks in. It's like every week we're getting these kind of performances. I, you know, again, we look at the Denver matchup, man. We're like, ah, oh, this has got to be a neutral, a neutral running back matchup. No one's penciling it in as like, oh, you you got to get all your guys into the pool for this one. You know what I mean? Uh, two percent of people playing on Yahoo started Devin HN yesterday. <laughs> there you go. There it so is. So two percent. This is one of. Oh. It's like, what, what can you tell people? Do you get this guy erupts on your bench? Well, hey, at least you have him. At least you don't have to right. like beat right, the right, snot right. out of your league mates to try to pick him up on waivers, right? Uh, so at least you, you can have that. He's probably never going to score like 50-plus points or whatever ever again. Uh, maybe. I don't know, man. This this Dolphins offense has to be – I'm not saying like they're – they're the best offense I've ever seen, but I'm not not saying that they're the best offense I've ever seen. Just because I know that so seems so prisoner of the moment, right? But I'll, I don't know. I, I go back and forth because part of it is obviously super impressive what they did yesterday, and and I'm I, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I, I'm just like in shambles. What do I do to try to stop this <laughs> this offense? Because you know they're gonna they're gonna do whatever uh-huh. they want to. I will say though, look. There's like, for some reason, like I have, I very rarely seen the name Vance Joseph brought up in the wake of what happened yesterday. You know, people right. are definitely ready to clown on Sean Payton. And look, sure. if you go ahead and clown on Sean Payton, because the guy, you know, flames the previous coaching staff, calls it the worst coaching job in NFL history. You know, the QB Dang. collective. I don't know what I don't know how you're if you're familiar with with them, but like it's like Mike Shanahan's old. It's like Mike Shanahan's like private company, the QB Collective. Like they're having fun at Sean Payton's expense on Twitter yesterday because like you know they blasted Mike McDaniel and Tua last year. Like he said, you know Sean Payton said they should be benched. He obviously blasted Nate Hackett. He's like part of that coaching tree. Um, so I think there was a little bit of like personal agenda yesterday with Mike McDaniel putting up seventy points on him. So everybody's ready to make fun of Sean Payton, have fun at his expense. But like Vance Joseph, dog, did you have you watched this offense ever? Like <laughs> at any point in the last two years, dude, I mean, just leaving the middle, like we talk about middle of the field, open middle of the field, close when you right, come right, to the defense, right, right. yo, Vance is leaving that middle of the field wide ass open and Tyree kill is just ru- streaking through it. It was embarrassing. I mean, I, I look at all the credit to the dolphins in the world. And like Mike McDaniel is the dude. He's the man. Again, mm-hmm, this is a mm-hmm. great offense. I think it might be the best offense. It's certainly, it's certainly right now, like Patrick Holmes is Patrick Holmes, you know, and they made mincemeat of the bears predictably um, to the point that they had to take them off national tele. They had to take them off television when Taylor Swift is in this, you know, one of the most famous That's people on planet crazy. earth. Yeah. They, they got to take them all day. They're, they're, the Chiefs are still going and they're still doing their thing. But I mean, man, this offense is fantastic. But Vance, this this was one of the most embarrassing like, from an effort standpoint from the players. Like I'm yeah. I am rarely ever comfortable, James, sitting, you know, my ass on my couch, like as a bystander and saying like, mm, got to really question the effort of these guys out there. <laughs> but man, how do you watch what you saw on Sunday with those Broncos players and not like at least say, Hey, the effort probably could have been better. I mean, second half, certainly it just wasn't there. You know, uh, the, the, there was, what did I see? 25 missed tackles. I think was the stat that I saw, uh, from the Denver 25 Broncos. dude. That's come just, on, I mean, come on, bro. That's just, I, I mean, it, it's just ridiculous. It, it was crazy uh, what we were seeing. Not only was the, wide, the, the middle wide open, people were just, you know, uh, the tackles were just being broken at, at an alarming rate. And don't get me wrong, like, you know, I, I sat here before the season started and said, oh, Raheem Mostert, I love this dude. I can't give this guy up and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I should be over here just, you know, you know, uh, counting all my all my stacks on, on, on Raheem Mostert and everything. But it's like, you know, you watch the Broncos play, man. It was real bad. Um, and again, I, I think it is certainly fair to question the effort, the game plan, the whole deal, man. It was an absolute systematic breakdown uh, from Denver. And just and the point that you made about Sean Payton talking about this coaching staff and how it was bad and embarrassing and all that, and then this happens to him. It's Worst like, in oh history. Oh, my God. Oh, he, my goodness. Unbelievable. He, he called it the worst coaching job in NFL history or or alluded <laughs> that it might be the worst coaching job in NFL history. Meanwhile, meanwhile, meanwhile 
give up Meanwhile, a seventy spot. Damn, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And um, the Broncos great. have the Broncos have twenty six penalties on the year too. Like they're yeah. third most in penalties. Um, uh, first downs by penalties to lead the league with ten. Uh, dude, <laughs> I don't know, man. If if I'm Sean Payton, I'm like maybe toning the, like the ego down a little bit Damn. publicly for for a Jeez. little while. He was pissed. Yeah, did like, you see his post game presser? I did. Uh, I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. He Although, I, to, uh, okay, look. Okay, obviously embarrassing uh, performance from Sean Payton. Okay, but to be fair to Sean Payton, though, in that press conference, he did come out and like own it. And I will say this too: there was that reporter just going through the list of all the stuff of like all the things that they failed on. And then Sean Payton's like, "Bro, is there a question in here? Yeah, what's yeah, yeah? What's is the there question? a question? Yeah. You know?" And the guy was like, and he just kept going on and like I. I actually, I actually, I actually sided with Peyton there. I'm like, my guy, as somebody who has worked a press conference before, okay, I, I understand like what the game is, and it's just like, bro, Sean Payne's like, okay, 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 like, dog, is there a question in right. this? You know, it definitely seemed as if the reporter had an axe to grind, man. Like, some yeah. he, he was absolutely going after it. Uh, so I don't, I, I actually didn't mind the fact that Peyton like. You know, got a little upset, man. Like, yeah. ask the question, dude. Um, right. Anyways, uh, neither here nor there. Uh, one, one last comment I wanted to say. Look, you bring up the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is the singular best offensive player on planet Earth. But in terms of, like, team offenses, this Miami team reminds me a little bit about the greatest show on turf, like the mm. 99 Rams, you know, where you're talking about you've got – uh, uh, Kurt Warner, you've got Marshall Falk, you know, combining for, I think it was like 2,400 total yards or whatever it was, right? Two great wide receivers, not to the level that they've got here in Miami, but, you know, Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, um, you know, uh, you've got Hall of Famers all up and down uh, this roster. That's what this Miami team reminds me of, just a collective, you know, group of players. And again, you look at that 99 Rams team, right? And, so, and you could say, like, yeah, Ike Bruce and Torrey Holt, these are great players. Marshall Fox, certainly one of the best to ever do it at his position. Um, but it wasn't like Hall of Fame guys. It, it, look, they all made each other great is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Um, and I feel like that's what we got here with Miami. You've got a great offensive mind in Mike McDaniel. Tua's playing out of his mind. You've got these wide receivers running around causing havoc. And then the running backs are just doing their thing. I mean, these are relatively no-name dudes, but, man, they're absolutely getting put in advantageous spots and they're they're delivering. So right now it feels as if this Miami team feels like feels like that 99 uh, greatest show on turf team, man. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good comparison. Uh, I mean, I definitely think like Tyree Kill's probably going to have a Hall of Fame. Yes. You know, candidacy by the end of his career. Obviously, we'll see what Jalen Waddle does. And, you know, yeah, the running backs, a game like this reminds you that Mike McDaniel, despite the fact that most of what he did last year was like designing this incredibly creative, like RPO heavy uh, passing game, you know, uh, he was the run game coordinator for San Francisco. That was where he had made his bones was like helping coordinate the run game. I mean, putting like the Debo Samuel package together like that role, getting Debo in, you know, integrated and involved and kind of on board with that whole thing. And um, yeah, I, you just got to like, it's a good thing. Mike McDaniel seems like a pretty cool guy too, that, you know, you see yeah. the clips of, um, uh, of him talking about like the number one thing a coach has to do is get players to buy in, you know, like, and teach, you know, cause this is their livelihood. And like, I've got to show them that I know what I'm talking about. And like, I can help you. Uh, you know, he says how many, we just talk about Sean Payton, like, full-on egomaniac right full-on like <laughs> he comes into denver and he is like i'm the czar of this team and look sean payton is one of the most accomplished coaches in the business he's allowed to be an egomaniac so i'm not saying he's like a bad guy because he is an egomaniac you have to be some level of an egomaniac to be in that position but then you get like mike mcdaniel on that sunday night football post game or halftime uh segment the the reporter asked him like what are you doing and what have you done in the first half he's like well i haven't done anything it's like the players you know it, it's it's cool to see a guy in that position yeah be like sure. yeah it's, it's about so the humble so humble man uh and, and easy to root for for sure uh is this miami team 
no doubt about it. All right, we, we've prattled on and on um, extolling the virtues here of Miami, but let's get into the main show here. I uh, want to talk about Mike Williams, talk about Calvin Ridley, Tank Dell in that, uh, in that game. We'll come back to Denver, what do you say? We'll talk about Marvin Mims, uh, and if we have time, Traylon Burks and Josh Downs as well. But uh, the big wide receiver news, um, it, it's really on the injury front. You know, it's Mike Williams, uh, potentially out for the year with a torn ACL. Uh, big-time injury there for Mike Williams. Uh, we talked about in previous episodes of this very show, Matt. Okay, where is Quentin Johnston in his development? Is he ready to go? Uh, is it going to be, you know, is it going to be a collection of wide receivers opposite of Keenan Allen uh, to step forward? I don't know. Mike Williams had himself a pretty good game yesterday, and actually he's had a really good year, I think, has Mike Williams. Uh, but the guy, man, and the man was Keenan Allen. I mean, this dude... Hello, hello. I mean, you talk about a guy that was welcoming an OC change. Good Lord, Keenan Allen is playing out of his mind right now. Yeah, uh, I have to take an L on doubting Keenan Allen heading into this year, and I've never been happier to take an L through the course of like my um, 10 right. years of covering the NFL, right? Like, this yeah. is the easiest, like, hey, go ahead. I, I admit to taking the L, because like I said in preseason, I think Keenan Allen has been the most underrated superstar receiver over right. the last decade. Like He's been that good, and I don't think he got the national credit um, really to, to be put in that elite tier, you know? Not not only that, I feel like Keenan Allen is like your favorite receiver's favorite receiver. You know what I'm yes. saying? I think He's I so literally underrated. wrote that in his reception perception profile. Oh, that he is he is your favorite receiver's favorite receiver. Like even to this day, I'd have conversations like I mentioned talking to Justin Jefferson about it, like Jamar Chase and all like all mm. these guys are all like, Oh yeah, I watched Keenan Allen. Like Keenan Allen's my favorite, you know, <laughs> all that go. type of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, he, he is literally your favorite receiver's favorite receiver. But anyways, like obviously the whole crux of um why I sort of, you know, it was not that like I was concerned about Allen coming into this year was that we saw a decline in his success mm-hmm. rate versus man and zone numbers uh, heading into, you know, from from a steady decline from 2020 to 21 and then 22. Um, you know, and I think obviously in hindsight, and, you know, this was something I noted, this this was very possible this was the case, that he was obviously just playing too early off a hamstring injury last year and he was, you know, just not 100%. You know, and, and, and I think that's probably a big reason why those success rates were what they were so far this year he's been great you know he's obviously been the engine of the uh los angeles chargers passing game mike williams agree you know we can talk about what the offense looks like without mike williams but uh he's been having a good year but truthfully like it's been about keenan allen in this in this passing game i will say like i charted this game back on um from from week three a couple things. One, somebody needs to explain what Brian Flores is doing over there with the Vikings defense. They need to explain it to me like I'm five. Uh, I don't get what's going on on that side of the ball. But I will say specifically with Keenan Allen, the, Kellen Moore is just using this guy exactly like how he should be used. Like mm-hmm. at this point in his career, you know, I, this is something I wrote in his reception perception profile. Like he has to be from 21 or 22 he has to almost exclusively be an off-ball player and he has to be almost exclusively in the slot that's most of mostly where he is lining up he's in pre-snap motion in the backfield 11.5 percent in week three he was in the slot on 60.7 percent of his snaps he was off the line on almost 70 percent of his snaps like they're they're lining him up in the right spots and the routes that he's running i mean 14.6% 14.6% dig, 22% curl, 19.5% slant, 9.8% screen, 12.2% flat. Like they're only using him on the routes that he's still really good at cuz I still think yeah, he's not going to get open very much downfield consistently, but it's like okay, we don't care. We're going to get him into space and we're only going to have him run the routes that he even in 2022 when his numbers were down he was still really good on slants and curls and digs and out routes and flat routes. It just was the downfield stuff. And they're just not having him do any of that, which I think is really good coaching. And it's allowing a player who, even if he is in a you know decline phase of his career, it just doesn't matter because he can still run those routes really well. This, the success rate versus man is back up near to where we would expect. And he still has uh, the be- probably you know top five hands in the NFL, even in contested yeah. situations. Uh, you know, I, I the one thing I did notice though is like, okay, yeah, so they're running him inside, but they're still playing him downfield just a bit more um, than they did. It, it's not all these little bunny hop routes that I think we saw over the past few years, right? You take a look at his air yards per target too. I mean, they're way it's way up, man. It is, 
you know, he, right now he is, uh, what, he's at 8.2 air yards per target, right? Um, and, and that is, like, again, more in line with what we saw from, like, 2017, 2018. 2020, he was down to 7.2 air yards per target. In 20, you know, in, in 2021, uh, again, it's, like, you know, uh, somewhere around that eight, yard, eight air yards per target. So he's getting some more downfield looks, too, despite the fact that they are lining him up uh, inside so often. Yeah, they're really good about um, scheming up some shot plays. Still, eight point five is or eight point two is not that that high, and that's sort of my you know it's lower than guys like Mike Williams. It's lower oh, than sure. guys like Josh Palmer on this team, and that's sort of my question now. Because obviously, like I said, look, I I was I, I'm hap- happily taking the L on fading Keenan Allen this year. Um, right. You know, happily taking the L there, whatever that that's great. But I think now that Mike Williams is not out there. He's not going to be out there for the rest of the season. I think we have to ask ourselves a question of how does this offense change uh, going forward? Because I think, you know, a big part of maybe part of what Keenan Allen's average depth of target or, or low air yards last year, some of it is obviously his skill set. He's a short area player. Some of it is also, um, it, it was he 100% healthy? I think we can say right. 100%. No, he was not 100% healthy. But also, People clearly defended the Chargers last year, despite the fact they have Justin Herbert. And oh my God, how good was Justin Herbert on on Sunday oh, in Week Three? Dealing. But people still defended the Chargers with the roof over their head. They had a the, that Chargers offense had a roof over its head, right? And they were happy to squat on short routes and squat on because they weren't scared when Mike Williams wasn't out there, and even when Keenan Allen wasn't out there, especially. They're not afraid of anybody downfield. And are we not now in danger, James, of running into that problem again if we are losing Mike Williams, who is not a perfect player, but we talked about him on the show. He's probably the number one like non-elite X player in the NFL where he's a vertical guy. He threatens downfield. He wins in contested situations. Like Josh Palmer is a fine player, but he's he's kind of like, what, maybe 70% Mike Williams? like in that same sort of role. Right. And Quentin Johnson, the rookie, just hasn't been playing. Like he's run around if you're in 30% of the dropbacks so far. So I think losing Mike Williams is a big deal to this offense. And I'm curious how that changes things for all of these guys going forward. I'm curious to see how far away Jalen Guyton is um, and whether or not he's just completely you know, lost the speed, right? Because um, that was, despite the fact that he was just a bit player for the Chargers in, in seasons past, he was a guy that you would say, all right, I'm going to run this guy deep downfield. I'm going to clear some guys out, and we're going to clear it out for our under, more underneath players like Mike Williams and, of course, like Keenan Allen, and to a degree, Austin Eckler as well, right? So um, Jalen Guyton started the season on the pup. Does he come back? I have no idea where he is at with his injury um, and, and whether or not if he does come back from his injury, whether he'll have any juice whatsoever uh, still as a speed guy. But they didn't cut him. They didn't mm-hmm. cut the guy which I thought was important, right? Um, And Quentin Johnston now, man, like he becomes a very integral part. It's a big part of why they drafted him as high as they did, right? Uh, The injury concerns, I think certainly for the wide receivers has always been a a, a little bit of a a hindrance for the Chargers. I mean, I guess injuries just in general for the Chargers, okay? Uh, Yeah, but I mean, but again, now, now Quentin Johnston becomes a very important piece for this offense. I think they're going to have him, uh, you would think, given his draft capital and his skill set, man, can this guy get downfield and open it up for some of these other guys? I don't know. We're going to find out. Yeah, and like, look, I obviously got Keenan Allen wrong, um, but this was a pretty much, we talked about it just last week. I feel like this is exactly, or maybe it was on the Sicko show, this is exactly how I thought this was going to play out with with Quentin Johnston, that he was going to play behind Josh Palmer early to start the mm-hmm. season because he's a developmental player. He wasn't ready to rock from from day one. But you know what? Now it's like, okay, but they need him to be that guy. They need him out there because um, Josh Palmer, again, is not a separator. He can win contested catches downfield. He very much is like a poor man's Mike Williams, which was why when they would lose Keenan Allen in years past, uh, particularly to start last year in 2022, they would just have two guys that were too samey. They'd have Mike Williams and they'd have a guy in Josh Palmer playing in like Keenan Allen's position, but he's more like Mike Williams and it would really, really be a hindrance to the offense. So maybe Josh Palmer, like, look, I think that guy's going to have some 
good weeks in fantasy. We've seen him have good weeks in mm-hmm. fantasy when Keenan Allen is out there. Like that matters a ton to the right. Josh Palmer projections. But I think they just need Quinton Johnston to step up and show that he can beat zone coverage in the NFL, that he knows when, like technically, where to sit down and like how to be on the same page with um with with Justin Herbert. That's gonna be a big issue if if we're the Chargers have week five bye, which is key because I think they'll probably get Eckler after the week five bye. That's probably when yep. he'll return right. um, off his ankle injury. Uh, you know, I think hopefully Quinton Johnson will be ready to go at that point. Like he'll right. re- be ready to be an integral part of the offense. Cause if he's not, if we get to like week eight, nine, 10, and he still hasn't really been a factor, I think the Chargers offense will suffer for it. All right, so in last night's game, in yesterday afternoon's game, um, Quentin Johnston played 25% of the snaps. He only played 16 offensive snaps. Josh Palmer played 39 snaps, good for 61% of the offensive uh, team snap share. So just to give you an idea right now where the Chargers view um, their talented rookie in Quentin Johnston, uh, it's just like we're talking about. He's just not ready. The Chargers don't view him as being ready because again, they invested huge draft capital on this guy and they're only playing him 25% of the snaps in an absolute must win game Mm -hmm. against the Minnesota Vikings. I think that gives you a real sense of like, okay, how much do we trust this guy? You know what I mean? So, um, but no more Mike Williams. It's going to be some combination of Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer and Quentin Johnston, uh, at least certainly in week number four. And then we'll see. What happens after week five, after their week five bye? So uh, interesting stuff there for the Chargers. I still think they need a little bit of team speed. Maybe, maybe, maybe Quentin Johnston actually ends up being a downfield threat, a guy that clears out the rest of the field for somebody like Keenan Allen and then now Josh Palmer as well. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about Calvin Ridley, man. Um Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. I feel I know we've talked about him in every single episode, Matt. <laughs> I, I I get it. I understand. Okay. After week one, I come out and I apologize. I say, oh, Calvin Ridley's that dude. He's him. He's going nuts. Right. This is the problem, man. He had what let's see. I, I actually tweeted this out. He had nine, I think he had 92 yards in that first half against Indianapolis. In the 10 quarters following. All right. He's had uh, 81 combined yards again in the 10 quarters following that 92 yard explosion in the first half against Indianapolis, who, as we have talked about before, Indianapolis, very no name secondary there. I mean, it's like Kirkland brand players on the outside when you're talking about corners there in Indianapolis. So what do we make, man, of of now a, a second? I mean, just really poor performance from Calvin Ridley. I, I go back and I watch this guy play a little bit, man. And I don't know about you. I got some concerns. We're, I would say that the Jaguars are probably the most disappointing team in the NFL right now. Um, mm. Would you, would you agree? Because I mean, I think the chargers are obviously up there. They're, they're one and two, just like Jacksonville, but you know, the chargers are the chargers. Okay. Like, and I, I don't think Brandon Staley is a good head coach. Like the fact that they're the fact that they're at where they are, it's like okay, well, who could really be shocked? It's the Chargers, okay? Um, <laughs> there are there are other there are other teams that could be qualified for that list, but the Jaguars, you know, this is supposed to be their time. This was supposed to be their season oh, where they joined the AFC 100%. Big Boys. Yes, they were supposed to run away with this division, Matt. They're supposed yes. to run away with it. 
Right. That's that's the biggest thing to me. And um, I, I do find this interesting just because like Doug Peterson said something to the effect uh, after the game. He said it to Bucky Brooks, who works for the Jaguars media side of things. He basically said something to this is the exact quote. I don't know if we're as a team kind of buying into the hype, maybe the preseason hype just a little bit. You're reading your press clippings, you know, as sometimes we talk about. And this is the NFL, man. Like, I don't know if this team is distracted somehow, some way, but we've got, you know, about 24 hours here, less than 24 hours to soul search, get together, regroup, watch tape and be honest Mm -hmm. with ourselves. And then we're on to Atlanta. I read that and I think, yeah, I think this whole team, they played yesterday like against the Texans as if they thought they're just the best team in this division. And dude, like they can't kind of afford to mess around right now at this point because no, like the Texans are showing a lot with CJ Stroud. The Colts beat the Ravens in overtime with their backup quarterback and their mm-hmm. rookie quarterback has shown a lot. You know, this is this is not a division. I mean, the Titans are you know probably not trending in the right direction, but this division is not right. looking like a little little cutesy cupcake division that they can mow down and then just meander on into the playoffs, and that's when things are going to matter. So this whole Jaguars team, this whole offense feels that way to me, and, and I wanted to use that as the starting point because that is like the biggest vibe I get around uh, Jacksonville right now because right. I think – and, and it's another under-discussed storyline, too, that Doug Peterson basically said he was going to just hand-play calling duties over to Press Taylor. And it's like, yo, Doug, you're your team's biggest advantage because you're a great play caller and a great offensive designer. Um, I watched the game back yesterday, charted Calvin Ridley uh, from week three. And you know, my biggest concern – look, yeah, I, I'm with you that I think Ridley – has been kind of a mess in contested situations. He's had drops. Um, he's. Yeah. I actually saw Nate Tice tweet that the Chargers' 15 points lost to drops is like the most since 2019 through the first weeks, the first three weeks of a season, according to True Media. So like they're having issues with drops all over the place. Christian Kirk has had drop problems in his career. Uh, Zay Jones has had drop problems in his career. Yo, Evan Ingram definitely had drop problems towards <laughs> his career. Right, so right, um, right. my panic level on the Jaguars overall is a little high. Um, at the same time, though, I still trust Trevor Lawrence. And I still think Calvin Ridley has, for the most part, been the player that I expected him to be. Uh, 70% success rate versus man in this game. He did have a little bit of troubles with press coverage. And again, the ball skills are an issue. They're also not really making it you know, he's got run a lot of nine routes. He's not really getting open down the field as much, but there has been a lot of success rates and, uh, you know, on dig routes, separation on curls and slants. The, I think they need to work the middle of the field a little bit more. You, you, mm-hmm. you look at Trevor Lawrence right now and like, it's almost as if they've over-focused on the Calvin Ridley effect. Like let's work the sidelines. Let's shoot the ball downfield. It was like, what about what worked for Jacksonville last year when they got these guys on like dig routes and big crossing routes you know, Zay Jones uh, on on routes along the sideline. That was one thing, but really like Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram over the middle of the field. What's kind of happened with those guys? I think, and teams are, teams treat Calvin Ridley. I mean, the Texans treated Calvin Ridley like an alpha. They doubled him mm-hmm. or, or shaded coverage over to his side on over 20% of the routes I looked at. Like, let's use that effect to, to open things up for other guys. So to me, I watch this team and I feel like they're a little bit lost at sea from a play calling and offensive design perspective, which does, I don't know, at least give me hope that we could look at the Jaguars in a few weeks and like if Doug has taken more of this the play calling duties back, that this mm-hmm. offense can get on track. But I don't know. What are, what are your concerns? I think when I was watching, uh, when I when I throw on that Calvin Ridley tape, uh, and I'd love to just kind of get your, your, your take on this, man. But when I watch the tape, man, it's like I do question whether or not um, where's the passion? You know, hmm. where, where's the, where, where's the, I don't know. Where's that dog, man? Like I didn't see any of that from any of these players yesterday. And I think, and again, when you talk about Houston and I get it, uh, the, the, you know, you talk about success rate versus man, 70%. That's, that's fine. I wouldn't say that, especially for a player of Calvin Ridley's caliber. That's, not to his that's, previous standards. No, that is not to his previous standards. Going against a secondary mat that is so banged up, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, it's not like he this guy's going against you know Patrick Sertan out there. Okay, he's not he's not looking across the the way from Sauce Gardner right now. You know what I mean? It's a bunch of no name dudes on that Houston secondary. And man, I don't know. And, and by the way, second game in a row now. Announcers, we can stop talking about the Heat in Jacksonville. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> both. 
both teams are going through it, man. Like it's not these guys aren't playing well because of the heat. You know what I'm saying? Tank Dell like, you know? not affected by the heat, but Calvin Ridley and everybody in Jacksonville it, who live there, they are affected by the heat. What's the temperature in London? You know they got to play in London next week. Uh, so what's what's the uh, London current temperature? <laughs> Probably not I as just humid. Don't get it? It's like we can stop talking about. It. It's two weeks in a row now. You know because they brought it up with the Kansas City game. Kansas City was that game was a lot lower scoring. Uh, that one's anticipated, and obviously the Jacksonville Jaguars um, didn't look great here in week number three, too. So I don't know, man. The body language stuff is all bad right now, I feel like, uh, for Calvin Ridley and the boys, you know. Um, and, and you know, they try to get it going there in the second half a little bit, but I think Doug's right, you know. It's like I don't know, I don't know if they were reading the press clippings or whatever, but the body language is all wrong. It's all wrong. Man, I, I don't like it one bit whatsoever. Um, and even Trevor Lawrence, who's – he was cool as a cucumber, you know? It's like, he was, even he was getting frustrated. Like, what's going on out here, guys? Like, yeah. what are we doing? You know, and Trevor Lawrence never gets like that. You know what I mean? So Right, he tweeted uh, out like two note emojis after the game too. So I think, um, you know, we'll see uh, where the Jaguars go from here. I, I do know this though. If you can't protect your quarterback and you can't rush other people's quarterbacks, you're not going to be a good team in the NFL. And right now the Jaguars are having trouble um, protecting Trevor Lawrence, not like, look, there are a lot worse offensive lines out there in the NFL right now, but oh. they aren't exactly able to completely open things up from a, from a passing game perspective because of that offensive line and their pass rush, man. If, if I'm Shad Khan, I gotta be like watching Detroit lions games thinking like, why is this Aiden Hutchinson character not on my team? And why is our team like basically just we can't get near opposing quarterbacks. You know, they took Trayvon Walker first <laughs> overall ahead of Aiden Hutchinson. I, I would be asking Trent Balky some questions about that. But um, yeah, look, I think overall, like I'm not really freaked out about Jacksonville's offense because I think there are a lot of real explanations for what's going on here. I, I think Doug is right. I think they've read their press clip clippings. I think they got way too high on their own supply there in Jacksonville. Even maybe mm -hmm. Doug did to the point that he's like, yeah, I can take a step back from the play calling because mm -hmm. We're so good, it won't really matter. You know, now it's like, okay, no, maybe you need to be more invested in in what the process of what's going on here because so far the process of what's going on here has been bad. And again, I think all these players are still very, you know, talented and there's still a lot that can be done. They, these guys can all just straight up play better. And I think they will yeah. play better um, going forward because they've got, like, Doug, again, he said it after the game. Like, when does the excuse make like when does the it's early excuse stop? And he said yesterday, Sunday, like so it's it's time to get going here. Yeah. Uh, three games in the books now for the Jacksonville Jaguars on the other side, man. I, I've just been so impressed by CJ Stroud. Two things, by the way, uh, happen in week number three and both of them bad for Carolina. Um, <laughs> once CJ Stroud has looked really good, man. I mean, he's looked I mean, he has looked so good. Okay, mm -hmm. um, and not only that, then the the other thing that again looks bad for Carolina, man, old nice. ass Andy Dalton comes in and dude, the Carolina offense looks functional. I'm not saying they look good, okay, I won't go that far, but they looked functional, man. And you can't tell me those first two weeks with Bryce Young, this offense looked functional. It looked like one of the worst offenses in the NFL. All of a sudden, old ass Andy Dalton comes in, and the offense looks okay. It's not, again, not great, not great, but it looks okay. It looks all right. Meanwhile, C.J. Stroud has absolutely elevated the play of the Houston Texans offense, man. It, it looks, he just looks so good, man. I cannot believe we're talking about a guy who's in the third game of his career, man. He looks absolutely in control. He looks awesome. And the chemistry between him and Tank Dell Boy, it is real. And, he, you know, CJ Stroud has every excuse for to not be playing well right now. You know, um, the offensive line issues, you know, there's cluster injuries on defense. You know, it's just so much new around him. I, I did rip people that were like talking crap about this receiver room. Like, okay, I get it. You didn't watch mm -hmm. Nico Collins. I get that. Sure. It's still an unproven room. It's still a room that isn't like he doesn't have one dude that he can just, you know, he doesn't have a, he's not Jalen Hurts with AJ Brown or he's not, you know, right. Josh Allen with Stefan Diggs. Like I have a guy just go to, go to, right. go to. Yeah. Um, I will say, man, I mean, yeah, Tank Dell, he's like a perfect flanker receiver for this offense. You know, uh, I haven't gotten back to look at Tank yet from this game, but 
Um, you know, they played him all over the place in that game against the Colts. Uh, they targeted him a lot downfield. Um, you know, his success rate on like the intermediate routes, like digs and curls, um, incredibly impressive out routes, comebacks. You know, he can make a total living just living in that intermediate area of the field. And obviously he's got speed, you know, he, he's got a great ball tracker. That's something that I think was really underrated with tank Dell, uh, Mm -hmm. coming into, into the NFL, you know, and we've seen it even in the Colts game, he had two contested situations and he won them both. He works the sideline incredibly well. Um, but just the ball skills, like the tracking, the the deep ball, like he just could track it over one shoulder and it comes over the other and he could just turn around and get it. Like he's really good at that type of stuff. Very much like um, kind of like John Brown to start his career, another undersized mm. guy where like they would just – Carson Palmer would flip that thing downfield and uh, John Brown would just go down and track it, you know, and he would get yeah. it. And then obviously he evolved his game. He became even more than that. And I think that's on the table for Tank Dell too who – um, you know, between him and Nico Collins and like Robert Woods giving him something as a as a slot receiver, that's a nice group they've got there. And yeah, dude, CJ Stroud is just he's awesome. Like I'm not I, I'm not calling the battle for for him versus Bryce Young, but like yeah. I liked CJ Stroud better anyways. I know Derek Classen liked CJ Stroud better anyways. Yeah, it's just like ah oh, man. I don't know. I I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like I said, dude, both those things, man, don't look good for Carolina right now. Adam uh, Thielen, dog, Adam. goes for like a hundred and something. How many? How many yards did he have? Like eleven uh, catches. He went off, yeah, eleven catches for like one forty or something. It was crazy. Uh, got that touchdown too. It was insane. What an insane um, day for Adam Thielen. Um, by the way, in this game, when was the last time? Uh, when was the last time th- th- there's been two tanks? in the NFL, both of them playing in this game, both of them scoring touchdowns as well. Two tanks in the same game. I love that tank Dell uh, and tank Bigsby on the other sky on the other side, punching one in Um, you talk about uh, uh, Nathaniel tank Dell here uh, was third on the team in charts. uh, Excuse me. uh, Routes run and in snaps, Robert Woods leading the way uh, in terms of routes run and um, snaps played for that wide receiver room. And then there's Nico Collins as well. So they have a very delineated, you know, trio. It's like, mm-hmm. it's, it's so opposite of what we're seeing in Kansas City, right? Like they, Houston's got their three guys and they are just pounding it with those three guys over and over and over again. Uh, and I think that's also helped the, the chemistry and the development there uh, with their quarterback and CJ Stroud that, he has a little bit of timing now with these three guys that he's just continuing to see on the field over and over and over again. And it's, I love when you, when you get that right, when you can build that chemistry, like I hate this receiver, you know, yeah, John Mechie, 16% of the routes in week three, he's not even really a factor and he might be at some point, you know, this is a guy coming back from leukemia, you know, as a, he missed his entire season battling leukemia. So like he might come around at some point because he was, a really good college player and and projected, I think, as like a slot receiver. So maybe he can be like a Robert Woods replacement down the line. Like he's still developing. And man, by the way, Tank Dell, who's an outside receiver, and Nico Collins, outside receiver. In week four, they get the Steelers defense. Uh, the Steelers have a great defense overall. Uh, they'll, you know, TJ Watt will whoop your ass up front. Uh, yep. Highsmith will whoop your ass up front. Like they're a great defense, but they have been shredded by admittedly very good outside receivers so far. 129 yards and two touchdowns for Brandon Ayuk in week one, set 90 yards uh, for Amari Cooper. Um, obviously, and then last night, 12 yeah, catches for 160 <laughs> yards and two touchdowns for Devontae Adams. And Jacoby Myers got over on him too. So, right, um, right. yeah, I think both these guys could have big week fours as well. Uh, I love it. I love the matchup, early matchup data, certainly um, there for Houston. Okay. Um, all right. Let's get to Denver, man. Uh, go back to Denver here. We, we obviously just shat on him for, for about 15 minutes there. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say I will I will say this though, man. Clearly, the shining like you know star, the shining hope that they have here resides with Marvin Mims. I mean, this dude for whatever reason isn't getting a full complement of snaps, but every time he is on the field, he is freaking electric, bro. All right, so let me ask you this: What you have seen of Marvin Mims? Is it a fluke? Is it a situation where it's busted coverage, it's broken plays, and that's why Marvin Mims is being successful? Or is this a guy that you're seeing with some real traits uh, for an extended ability to get open? What are you seeing out there with Marvin Mims? 
he's definitely a guy I'd like to get a full uh, charting profile up on uh, by the end of this week. But, you know, I think there has definitely been some flukiness, like busted coverages and stuff like that uh, have been a part of why he's made that. I mean, the, specifically the one uh, a couple weeks ago, right? This is long touchdown. That might have been a busted coverage. But, I mean, yeah, he's got juice, man. Marvin Mims. He absolutely does. And, you know, I think he's got enough to him to be like a full field player uh, to not just be a vertical threat. You know, they played him a little bit more against the Miami Dolphins. But look, I mean, it's hard to take anything seriously what happened with Denver's offense. I can't believe they have Russ just out there so so deep into that game. This is cracking me up, right? Like Portland Sutton's playing to run around 87% of the dropbacks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Mims only 13 routes, just 33% of the dropbacks, but leads the team or, or excuse me, second on the team in air yards. I think we are going to get more and more from Mims. I think we're going to see more from him. I think we'll see him more from like an outside receiver perspective. I, it just has to be time, you know, like Cortland Sutton's okay. He made a lot of mistakes though yesterday, but he's been probably their most consistent player. Um, not, not that saying much, you know, cause Jerry Judy hasn't been out there. Jerry Judy is still Jerry Judy. Um, I, I just think they got to get Mims more involved. Um, Marvin Mims right now has run 26 routes. Okay. That's fewer than Javante Williams. It's fewer than little Jordan Humphrey. Uh, Brandon Johnson has run 63 routes versus Marvin Mims is 26 guys. <laughs> I, I understand if you want to play Cortland Sutton and you want to play um, and, and you want to get Jerry Judy out there. All right. And like, you know, you want to say, hey, listen, Marvin Mims, uh, he's not going to play over those guys. Totally fine. I, and I think, you know, I, I don't agree, but I could see maybe there being some logic to that. OK, why <laughs> on God's green earth are they given more snaps and more routes to Brandon Johnson and Lil Jordan Humphrey, all of those snaps and all of those routes should be going to this guy who's just out there making plays for your team. I mean, he's literally the only guy, Matt, that is giving a spark to this offense whatsoever. The running backs look pretty slow. Like Javante Williams is still, you know, obviously not yeah. fully 100% back. Um, you know, and, you know, say whatever. Oh, Greg Dulcich, by the way, goes on IR. He's another guy that, you know, gives him a little pop in the offense too. Man, everyone else is just a guy right now. Marvin Mims is that one dude where you're like, yo, every time he touches this ball, something electric could happen. I mean, it's crazy. He's run 26 routes and gotten nine targets. To me, when you look at that, like you look at the target rate, to me, that tells me a little something about his ability to separate and get open. You know what I mean? 26 routes, nine targets? That's insane. I mean, you, you mentioned the routes run. He, he is like behind all those dude in routes run, but he leads the team in receiving yards. Right. <laughs> exactly. Come on. What? And, and Brent, Crazy. Brandon Johnson is third, but obviously we know he had the – I don't remember how long the, the catch was. It was like a 50-yard yeah, Hail Mary, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 50 plus, so yeah. There, was, there was that kind of inflating that total. Yeah, dude. I mean, look, I don't want to sit here and be like just – Every rookie's, you know, we just had this conversation with Quinton Johnson. Like, there's a reason they're not playing Quinton Johnston because they don't think he's ready. They don't think that, and, and they're, look, his college profile would indicate they're probably right about that, that he's not ready to be a full time starting receiver in the NFL. So maybe there's something that they're seeing in practice. You know, Sean Payton blasted him for being an egomaniac, but like I said, great, great coach, one of the best yes. offensive minds in the 100%. game. I mean, maybe not one of the best current offensive minds in the game, but he's definitely <laughs> historically a great offensive right. coach. Maybe he's right. seeing something in practice with Brandon Johnson or Brandon Johnson and, and little Jordan Humphrey and the boys um, to keep Marvin Mims on the sideline. I don't want to just be here being that guy. Like every rookie should just be on the field 100% of the time because it's a big learning curve at this position. But still, it's just like, come on. It seems like it's <laughs> but like, still. I be playing more. <laughs> but still. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But still. Uh, man, I don't know. Every single time this guy touches the ball, it, it's, it looks just like you're holding your breath. You know, it's, it's pretty good stuff. Uh, again, 26 routes, nine targets, seven catches for 195 and a touchdown. Bro, he has a, a, a quarterback rating when – when they throw to him, quarterbacks have a, a quarterback rating of 155.8, throwing to Marvin Mims right now. Um, according to the Next Gen Stats, uh, plus 28% catch over expected. Uh, this guy's just making plays, man. 
This guy's making plays. Yeah. It's just, yo, you got to find a way to get him on the field. It's absolutely ridiculous um, that they haven't done that yet. And, and not, and again, to be fair, he is seeing slowly seeing more playing time from week one to week two to week three. I get it. <laughs> but can we just get him on the field full time now, man? Like, I'm tired of waiting. I'm tired of waiting. I want to see a full game of Marvin Mims and see what we can do, man. It's pretty good stuff uh, thus far. All right. Complete opposite end of the spectrum, Matt. Uh, I feel like everyone is down on Traylon Burks right now. Oh, my goodness. You cannot find one single positive thing to, 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 on the Internet regarding uh, Traylon Burks, man. Uh, I get the Titans are going through it right now. Uh, but, boy, man, their, their fans are, I mean, they're just fed up. And I think they're, it, it, just, it all trickles down. And, and Traylon Burks, people don't really like what they're seeing. And obviously going you know, one of six yesterday for whatever he went for uh, is not good. But I don't know if you've seen uh, too much of Traylon Burks to start this season out. But, uh, but if you have, give us your thoughts on what could be going wrong here uh, with uh, the wide receiver from Tennessee. Well, look, man, I just think he still kind of looks like the player he was as a rookie, which just looks like a guy who's not really comfortable playing outside receiver at this standpoint, at this point. And I think as a rookie, it's like, okay, let's, let's make the excuse. Let's sure. not even make the excuse. Let's give a justifiable reason why that's the, not the case because he played a totally different position in college. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a whole real, real, real part of his player profile was that he, um, that he played this like gadgety role and then they transitioned him to the outside X receiver position for this team. But like here in year two, you'd like to see a little bit better. You know, you definitely like to see more from Traylon Burke so far. And look, I think this is why they signed DeAndre Hopkins because this team, despite the fact that they're probably wrong about this uh, equation, like their offensive line is just at a point where they where they can't compete. But I think they no, still view right. themselves as a competitive team. Like every year, Mike Vrabel is the head coach there. They're going to be thinking about how can we win the most games possible mm-hmm. this season. Right or wrong, disagree with it all you want. That's the truth. That's what they're going to think. And that's why they signed DeAndre Hopkins because they think that way and they look at it like we are not going to be a good offense with just Traylon Burks and nothing else. You know, like we're not. And I think that would have been the case. I mean, there's still not a good offense with DeAndre Hopkins, but, you know, according to uh, Fantasy Points data, Hopkins owns like a 36% share of the first read targets right now. Um, And Hopkins is like, he's like a game time decision every week. People are barely even sure if he's going to (laughs) play. But he walks off the bus like getting 10 targets a game, basically, because, like, that's just where we're at with DeAndre Hopkins. Like, he's that type of guy. And just Traylon Burks just hasn't been that type of guy. Like I'd be, and look, some of this is like I was down on Traylon Burks coming into the league uh, from like a ceiling perspective. I didn't mm-hmm. view him as high as other people did. Um, like I didn't think he was anywhere close to the class of player that like Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave or I mean hell even Drake London. You know, I mean I like John Dotson and you know better than than Traylon right. Burks. Um, you know, John Dotson had a great like statistical season, but that's not really his fault. Um, like just Burks at this point, he's still like trying to figure out how to consistently win as an outside receiver. Um, you know, he lost time in training camp through another injury, despite the fact he seemed like he was having a good off season, but like he can do some things. Well, he can run crossing routes. He can run go routes, but when you're like a limited application player in an offense that has a funnel target in Deandre Hopkins, um, and then, not a you know in a pass protection problem and shaky quarterback yeah. play right. it's going to be tough for you to be a productive player as if you're a limited application guy so they're trying to it seems as if from a statistical standpoint anyways get Traylon Burks a little bit more comfortable last year he played about 85% of his snaps uh lined up out wide Matt Harmon and to your point it was a relatively new position for him so now here in 2023 as we are 3 games in They've gone from 85% outside to about 60, a little bit less than 65% outside. So that's a 20% chunk of his snaps that have gone from the outside to now the inside. Um, and, and to your point, it, it, it would seem as if the coaching staff now recognizes like, all right, well, listen, we got Nuke here. Let's get this guy back into a more comfortable position for him. Uh, we'll play him about 60% outside, 40% inside. Uh, but even that just... It just doesn't seem to be clicking right now, man. I, I, I think I think there's a confidence issue right now with Traylon Burks as well. 
Yeah. I mean, who knows? I think it is nice to have Hopkins there and maybe it just is so hard because they can't pass protect. And look, they went against the Cleveland Browns and the Browns are just like one of the best defenses in the NFL. You know, then they put them in a blender. They had 94 yards of total offense. That's the thing with, with Traylon Burks too, is this is not the best like offensive environment for him to like be figuring things out on the fly. Cause I, again, I do think there are things he really does well. Like he really is a big time downfield strider. He can get open on those vertical routes. Um, and he can win contested situations. Like he, if you let him get that head of steam on a nine route, Michael Davis, the Chargers cornerback, figured that out when he got ripped for a big play. Like he will blow past you if you don't play good technique, or maybe it was Asante Samuel. I can't remember, but um, either way, it was poor technique by by the Chargers corner, and he can make you pay because he's such a big time athlete. But from the technical nuance perspective of the position, Burks is not there, and this is not a good offense. So that's where like the struggle with him at this point and I, I just don't i'm i'm struggling to sit here and tell myself how the titans get better you know because it, like the texans there's nobody like there there are reinforcements coming for the texans you know like on, on their offensive line like laramie tunsil eventually will be rocking and right. rolling they'll have some of the guys back that they were expected to go into the season with uh, the, that's not ha- coming here for Tennessee, you know? <laughs> so I don't really know where they go from here, you know? Traylon Burks, uh, 13 targets, only six grabs for 99 yards on the season. Um, again, a 46% catch rate. It's actually 11% lower than expected, according to Next Gen Stats. That's not good. You, you don't want to be double digits below expected uh, in terms of the catch rate, that's why I feel like people are are just so down on him as a prospect right now. Again, six catches out of 13 targets uh, for 99 yards. Not good for Traylon Burks. We'll see if um, if they could turn it around, man. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. All right, I want to wrap up the show. Drop rate, man. I didn't, yeah, uh, I didn't yeah, realize that. Bad. Not, that's real, real not good. Uh, okay, uh, I want to close out the show here um, uh, very quickly talking about Josh Downs. Again, he was another guy that uh, that I had highlighted as potentially a sleeper there against Baltimore. And the guy came through, man, had a really, really good game. Um, and I thought this was a, a little mini coming out party, I thought, for Josh Downs. You know, um, you were talking about him in the preseason as, hey, what a great adi- real-life addition uh, to this team that this guy could be as an underneath separator. And I think that's exactly what he was. Uh, for a guy in Gardner Minshew who, again, I, I thought he played pretty well. You know, he tried to distribute the ball pretty good uh, to, to his different wide receivers. But Josh Downs, I thought, was a, um, a, a nice little mini coming out party here uh, for the rookie out of North Carolina. Oh, man, I love Josh Downs. He looks great. Uh, I'm very excited about Josh Downs' progress so far. Can't wait to get something written up on him for the in-season rookie report. You know, um, it's late September, but uh, early November will come quickly here uh, for for all the work that needs to get done for that. But, um, yeah, man, Josh Downs is just – he's the player that that I expected him to be, right? A a, a nice slot receiver at the very least, and I think there's a lot of room for him to grow. Um, Michael Pittman's been balling out to start this year. Uh, Had a big catch to – to keep that game alive for the Colts. Yeah, it probably should have been a pass interference called on, on Zay Flowers there. I think John Harbaugh's upset about that. And he probably has a right to be upset about that. But, like, you know, yeah. beat the Colts, bro. Like, just just beat the Colts. <laughs> beat the Colts. Even though half their roster's freaking banged up, of right, course, exactly. as usual. Typical Ravens stuff. But, um, you know, I, like, Alec Pierce is fine in the role that he is in as, like, a vertical X receiver. But yeah. If you're dropping back the pass for the Colts and you're Gardner Minshew, you're Anthony Richardson, hopefully, you know, ASAP soon enough as he right. can get back out there. These two guys are Michael Pittman and Josh Downs are just going to be open so much faster. You know, Pittman's right. dominating first read targets, but like Josh Downs is also getting up there too in terms of the mm-hmm. first read target share. Like they're going to start having plays specifically designed for him as that slot receiver. And this was sort of my point when people were really d- same thing with the, with the, with the Texans, right? Where people like, who is CJ Stroud going to throw to? Who is Anthony Richardson going to throw to? I'm like, yo, they've got good players here. Like, and they've got a really good one, two combination um, for, for, for for their quarterback here. And Michael Pittman, like I said, who's balling out right now, 33 targets on the year, 25 catches. Um, He's just always open. Uh, And and then uh, Josh Downs too. Like, and I, I hopefully at some point they'll get, 
the offensive line in place to a point where they can shoot the ball downfield a little bit more and it's not so much designery stuff. But right, right now, that's working for them, and that's going to keep their young quarterback, when Richardson's back there on the field, they're, that's going to keep his confidence afloat. Yeah, I think Alex Pierce right now is, or I should say Alec Pierce uh, right now, is much more a, a better real-life threat than he is a fantasy threat, right? And I think that's fine. We talk about that all the time on this program, man. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, but that trio of receivers, I think, is really good. Pittman, Pierce, and Downs, it's, it's a nice young group. Uh, and they all have very clearly defined roles, you know. And meanwhile, you know, listen, they're they're getting a little production out of Kylan Granson as well. Zach Moss has been a, a find for them for the last couple <sighs> yeah. of weeks. Um, I mean, you talk about usage. Oh my goodness, hundred like hundred percent usage in week two, and then here in week number three, almost eighty percent usage for Zach Moss. It's like nobody else exists. I'm actually curious just because of what they're getting from Moss, like. They should be pretty motivated to try and move on from Jonathan Taylor, I, I, just only because of all of the the the, the background the political stuff. Yeah. yeah, you know that's going on. Not because of talent. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying if you can get something back for Jonathan Taylor, um, that would be good. You know, because right now I feel like the chemistry on this offense is really starting to click. You know, so yeah. I, I just I, I do worry about that when they try to inject a player like Jonathan Taylor. And what does that end up looking like? I kind of agree with you. And look, I'm not I am almost never like, let's take the side of the organization on on any of these things. And like, right. I, I think all players should get their money as soon as they can, as much as they can and maximize their earnings. Um I think the Colts took the stance of we're not paying anybody coming off a year where we hired a TV analyst. And look, the guy who hired the TV analyst was the owner. And this right, is, all comes exactly. back to Jim Mersey at some point. Right. So, like, again, is there's clear blame to be thrown out here for why the Colts were this way. But nobody was good for the Colts last year. You know, even Michael Pittman, who we like, didn't wasn't didn't have his best season last year. wasn't to his full potential. Um you know, this whole team fell off the map completely. So the, the Colts weren't going to reward anybody the contract extension. It was like, okay, let's come in here. Come in here and prove yourself with a new right. coaching staff and a new quarterback. And, you know, it's not like Michael Pittman was like, I'm going into the last year of my contract. Like, I need to be paid right now. You know, uh, like he's out there playing in this offense and, and kind of going through it. And, you know, Jonathan Taylor, like, I think they'll look at him and say, hey, buddy, come in here and get on board, like get on board and have a good year with Shane Steichen and Anthony Richardson and all these guys. And like, then we talk contract at the end of the year and we move forward. But if he's still like, Nope, I'm not playing without a contract. I mean, yeah, just like, okay, well we're getting decent run out of Zach Moss. And like, we'll just keep on going here while everybody else is in the program and in the building and like trying to prove themselves. And I wonder then like, you know, Miami obviously was the number one spot for Jonathan Taylor. Are they right. that inclined to trade for no. Jonathan Taylor after no. they just no. blew the right? No way. The other team is no way. The other team though is the Packers. And if I am the Packers, I'm thinking like, yeah, maybe I should trade for Jonathan Taylor. I actually kind of wouldn't mind that. I know they have Aaron Jones, but like they're getting nothing out of AJ Dillon. Jones is nothing. still an older guy who's had been banged up, and they could play completely different like dimensions. So I don't know. They would they would at least be one I'd think about, but. Yeah, Miami's probably not motivated to to sell the farm and give a big fat contract to to JT coming off the performance that they just had. I just actually I would look on the other sideline, Matt. And if I'm the Baltimore Ravens, go uh, and yeah. go go and get Jonathan Taylor. I mean, he would add a completely different uh, dimension to their run game right now. Um, <clears throat> you know, obviously they lost their starting running back in J.K. Dobbins for the year, so there's plenty of opportunity for somebody like Jonathan Taylor. And again, you add that level of athlete to Lamar Jackson and Zay Flowers and Odell when he's healthy and Rashad Bateman's getting slowly but surely. He's getting healthier. You get Mark Andrews there. Uh, we'll see. Hamstring Woo! injury. We'll see. Let us, let us cook Baltimore. You throw in Jonathan Taylor, man. That would be interesting. Uh, a really interesting mix. And I think they have a clear need uh, at that position as well. I mean, God, geez, they're running Melvin Gordon out there right now. <laughs> I get that Gus Edwards had a concussion, you know, but man, uh, they are down. Uh, they're down bad. If you're running out Melvin Gordon at this point in his career, you know what I mean? So uh, interesting stuff uh, with Baltimore and, and, and man, the Colts, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. I, I really am. Um, I, I like what they got going on um, from a build standpoint. And um and it, I just, it, it just feels like from a culture perspective, Matt, like 
it really does feel like they're really starting to buy in and like just put last year behind them and just try to, you know, again, small steps and, and small building blocks and just start just start building that momentum uh, in this division that apparently is wide open right now. Yeah, I just think Shane Steichen's like a good play caller and like he's brought a really successful offense here so far. And I would be I would be pretty bought into that too. And Richardson, again, he missed this game of the concussion. He need, definitely needs to learn how to not get himself blasted so often out there. Um, but overall, like if I was a Colts fan, I'd just feel great about what what I've seen from Richardson so far. So um, yeah, I, I agree. I I think there's a lot of young talent there and a lot of like what we talk about with Mike McDaniel. Like if you can, as the play caller and as the head coach, if you can get these guys to buy in, and this is a really young team, if Shane Steig can get can get these guys to buy in, I do think the future is really bright here in Indianapolis. But by, by, by the way, the last thing I was saying about Jonathan Taylor, and I, and I support JT 100. I'm 100 in his corner. Um, <clears throat> and, and and the thing about it is that, like, honestly, he may have bought in if. If Jim Ursay just didn't inject himself into that conversation, do you remember this offseason? Like, okay, yeah, yeah. They want, JT wanted to get a contract done. And it was like very typical stuff, you know, like very typical, like, oh, the player wants a contract. Team's like, oh, you know, hey, listen, you know, we'll talk about it as the season goes along. You know, it, it was just all very normal contract stuff. And then all of a sudden, Jim Ursay wants to have a one on one conversation with Jonathan Taylor. And then it was after that conversation where everything went completely south. You know what I mean? It's like if Ursay just had not interjected himself into this whole situation and just let it play out, Jonathan Taylor may have very well bought in. And all of that may have just been like preseason posturing. You know, because again, how many times have we seen that, Matt? We see it all the time in the NFL, that preseason posturing, man. Um, and yeah, Ursay, I just felt like completely <laughs> took a situation and like wanted to be like Bob the Builder, and but then in the end, in the end, was like Wreck It Ralph and just absolutely destroyed the whole thing. You know, <laughs> it was so bad. Yeah, he sent out that tweet about like you know negotiating in bad faith with the CBA and oh, all that stuff. Yeah, God, yeah. all that stuff, not good. Ursay, uh, his own worst enemy. Uh, in regards to the Jonathan Taylor situation there. All right, so anyways, good show. Uh, Covered a lot of ground there. A lot of young players we covered, which is always a lot of fun, man. Uh, So that is good. All right, so if you uh, have listened this long, man, we appreciate y'all. If you guys would share our podcast with your friends, that would be dope. But if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you get your shows uh, currently. All right, so that's it. That's the show for today. For Matt Harmon, I'm James Coe. We'll see you. And always remember... It's never too late. It's never too late to chase your dreams. All right, peace.